So we transition to the song when our Sakur Pasha Gora Viraha Vilapa is the name of it. <clears throat> that personality who delivered the treasure of Prema Bhakti, who was so intense with compassion. Where is such a personality to be, to be found as Sri Acharya Thakur, Srinivasacharya? Where are the saviors of the fallen souls? Where is my Damodar, Swarup Damodar? And where are Rupa Goswami and Sanatan Goswami? Where is Raghunath Das to be found? Where are my Raghunath Bhatta and Gopal Bhatta Goswamis? Where am I to find Sri Krishna Das Kaviraj now? All at once they have going, gone to join the Lord. All at once they have gone to join Lord Gauranga, the great dancer. To reach such a perfect personality as Lord Chaitanya, I can only break my head against the stone in the anguish of separation. They have all gone off together in their own leela, pastimes. Narottam Das Thakur says, unable to obtain their association, I must simply weep. So I'll just read the verse and then uh, we'll have some discussion of the pastimes of Jayananda Prabhu since it's his disappearance. Here. the basis of this discourse as the basis this uh, let's say that Kalakanta produced some time ago and I'll uh, embellish it a little bit You did, you did an interview, did you not, with his mother not long ago? Um, yeah, Mah- Mahanidhi Maharaj was going to write a, uh, a biography on Jayananda and I don't know if he pursued that or not, but we did some research. And he's done some outlines on it. And uh, I'm not sure what dates that's in, it's going ahead or not. So this is from Carl Pontus. <clears throat> After the disappearance of Jayananda Das on May 1st, 1977, His Divine Grace Srila Prabhupada instructed devotees all over the world to commemorate the event every year as they would any great Vaishnava's disappearance day. Therefore, we respectively submit these pages to all devotees as a means to remember and understand more about Jayananda's devotional service. Of course, we will... Uh, See how he joined Iskand and how he left this mortal world. More importantly, we shall see the astounding qualities possessed by a true devotee, a sincere disciple and a genuine servant of Srila Prabhupada. Actually, I do remember there was a further development that 
Piyasaki Prabhu, who we know for his wonderful bhajans, <coughs> told me about uh, two months ago that he was going to incorporate the material that uh, Mahanidhi Maharaj had compiled into a, a book which would have two or three different sections, maybe more, and at least one chapter would be the biography of Jayananda Prabhu. So that's the, the latest status I know of this. This is a couple of months ago. Something's still being done. Regarding the letter that uh, Prabhupada wrote about Jayananda, actually wrote two letters at the time of his disappearance or just afterwards. And one of them was published in Back to Garden magazine, which probably many of us have seen and read, in which he says that... Uh, he will go back to the spiritual world, or at least he'll go to a higher planetary system, and then from there, he will, if he continues his devotional service, progress to Vaikuntha Loka. The second letter, which wasn't published in Dekhtagathet magazine, said <clears> that this was written after Srila Prabhupada was informed exactly about the circumstances surrounding Jayananda's departure. Those circumstances were that he was in Los Angeles, and it took place just after or just slightly before Mangalarti. Uh, apparently, a garland had fallen from the body of Lord Jagannath during the Mangalarti, and it was brought to his room just uh, shortly after he had departed. And as he left his body, the devotees were chanting Hare Krishna in his ear. He had a tape playing of the Hare Krishna Mahamantra, and the garland was brought in. So Prabhupada heard in letters from devotees about these circumstances and then he wrote a letter saying that Jayananda's death is glorious um, and he has attained Vaikuntha. So this was the first letter that we knew about that Prabhupada wrote in which he said one of his disciples had attained the spiritual world. So I'll go back to this essay. Jayananda was the all-American boy Handsome, strong, intelligent, born in a more than middle-class family. Chayananda James Corr took a degree in mechanical engineering from Ohio State University. With a background like that, it is surprising that Jayananda, didn't, that Jayananda ended up as a cab driver in San Francisco. Karandar once asked him why he didn't get a better-paying job. Quote, I didn't fit in with the upper-class crowd, end quote, he said. When he came to San Francisco, it was either late 1966 or early 19... No, it was 1967, sorry, it was early 1967. He, uh, it might have been very late, might have been very late in 66. He was uh, he, uh, driving a taxi cab at that time. And he, uh, he was probably close to 30 years old and a lot older than most of us who were at the temple then. And because most of the devotees were kind of coming from an alternative culture background, <laughs> hippies and the like, um, he was a different type altogether. It was probably the first person that joined at that time that, didn't, that uh, was a so-called normal member of society, citizen. <laughs> he had a crew cut, short hair, and he was uh, at a job. So that was kind of unusual. And he, he was intending to keep his job. So he was immediately looked upon as someone out of the ordinary, that he was going to join, uh, be a full-time devotee, live in the temple, and still have a taxi cab job. And because he was 
older and more mature in many ways than most of us. He was kind of looked upon as a uncle type figure, a father figure, almost immediately because of his nature also. It was so um, mild and paternal. Always introspective in nature, Jayananda felt empty and unsatisfied within himself during his college years. He would often say <clears throat> that he was never happy, quote-unquote, before joining Krishna consciousness. His depression was almost suicidal when, in 1967, he read a small article in a San Francisco paper about an Indian Swami who had come to the Bay Area to propagate the chanting of the names of God. Jayananda called, recalled feeling quote, a ray of hope, end quote, when he read that article. Thinking that the Swami may have something to offer, Jayananda made up his mind to attend the Swami's lectures. Hmm. Sri Prabhupada's early lectures in the Bay Area were mostly attended by hippies, and Jayananda was one of the only, quote, straight, end quote, people there. Jayananda later recalled that, quote, I wasn't much of a religionist, but I was attracted to Srila Prabhupada, end quote. He was especially fond of attending the early morning lectures because at that hour, most of the hippies would be in bed. On some occasions, Jayananda would be the only guest listening to Srila Prabhupada speak from the Bhagavatam. Srila Prabhupada was always fond of Jayananda, and sometimes he would invite his budding disciple to take prasadam with him in his room. Quote, Srila Prabhupada would cook prasad and serve me, end quote, Jayananda recalled. Quote, he didn't say anything, he just kept feeding me and I kept eating, end quote. Jayananda soon donated his life savings of $5,000 to Srila Prabhupada to help his divine grace print Bhagavad Gita as it is. As more and more devotees joined ISKCON in the Bay Area, Jayananda continued to work as a cab driver and supported the temple by contributing all of his earnings. He also donated a, a substantial sum of money to the uh, Nectar of Devotion printing, and it's printed on the inside of the pink book that uh, Prabhupada makes a statement that he's very grateful to his disciple Jayananda Prabhu for contributing to this publication. In fact, his mother still keeps this book in her library, in her bookshelf, and uh, likes to show it to devotees when they go to visit. She's very proud of that, seeing his name enshrined in that book. So when he was driving the taxi cab, he used to have a Bhagavad Gita on the front seat, at least a back to Gata. I'm not sure about a Bhagavad Gita. Actually, there were no Prabhupada Bhagavad Gitas then. But he had a he had a uh, back to Gata, and he would frequently preach to his customers. Uh, that was one of the things that he really enjoyed about his taxi job. He could meet all kinds of people day after day, hour after hour and preach to them from Back to Godhead, and sometimes he would give them magazines. Uh, he was also using his salary to help pay for the temple. There was no fixed income in those days. Just The temple was just surviving on whatever income came, and he was contributing a substantial amount of his salary. And he would work long hours sometimes just to make sure that everything was being paid for. Jayananda's attraction for the process of Krishna consciousness. Chandanacharya Prabhu remembers this special feature about Jayananda. Quote, he was completely enamored by Krishna consciousness. Even when he'd go out on incense runs all by himself, he would raise every, rise every morning before four. 
have a little Mangalarti, chant all his rounds, read and cook prasad. He never deviated. He loved it. He was completely happy as long as he was practicing Krishna consciousness. So he used to sell incense for quite some time. And when he was traveling, he, he wouldn't uh, stay in hotels or motels because he didn't want to spend money. And sometimes he would sleep on the picnic tables, just roll up a sleeping bag and sleep on top of the tables when... Uh, when he was traveling. He would, he would either stay there or in the car, but he wouldn't want to spend any of Prabhupada's money for anything, for a, a sleeping room. Take Prashadam, for example. Jayananda worshipped Prashadam. When a little Prashad was spilled on the floor, he would always lick it up. He loved to cook, offer, distribute, and eat Prashad in a big way. He would always take Prashad with him and distribute it, whether he was making a run or taking a Harinam party downtown. He would even say prasadam in a special way that made you immediately want to take some. Sayanada knew how to attract people to Krishna consciousness with the prasadam weapon. When a new devotee came, for example, Jayananda would see to it that he was sumptuously fed with prasad. When Jamavan was just becoming a devotee, Jayananda would bring him a plate of prasadam so big that he thought he could never eat it. Jamavan was very uh, big, about six foot seven or so and very substantial <laughs> when he finally did finish the plate Jayananda immediately put an identical plate down before him I can't eat that said Jambavan Srila Prabhupada said that we should eat till we wobble like a duck said Jayananda Jambavan would finish the second plate of course Jayananda could be found honoring large quantities of prasadam any time, day or night. He was the kind of devotee who would come up to you at 10 o'clock with some peanut butter halava and say, Hey Prabhu, come here, check this out. Another example is Jayananda's love for kirtan. <clears throat> Jayananda was always eager to take the whole temple out on Harinam. He had a special attraction for chanting in the streets. Whether kirtan was held in the temple or in the street, Jayananda would always be seen dancing and chanting enthusiastically. When he was making Maharajdas into a devotee, Jayananda would visit his house and have big kirtans. Even if there were only two of them, they would jump and chant, Nitai Gaur Haribol. Also, Karanda recalls that one day after working very hard for ten hours straight, Jayananda suddenly announced, Hey, it's ten to seven. Let's go to Arti. Everyone else was so tired that Arti uh, was the last thing in their minds, but Jayananda quickly jumped into the shower and then bounced down to the temple room for Arti. Of all the processes of Krishna consciousness, Jayananda was most attracted to preaching. Whether it was during the Sunday feast, while making incense runs, or while building Rathiyatrakars, Jayananda was always trying to find out some person with whom he could share his ecstasy in Krishna consciousness. His preaching was very simple and easy to listen to. We just have to keep chanting and have faith in the name. We just have to chant and take prasadam. Srila Prabhupada is so kind to give us such a simple process. Karanda remembers how Jayananda preached to him on his first day in the temple. As they worked together preparing a little garden for Srila Prabhupada at the old Los Angeles temple, Jayananda said, You know, things don't always go just right in Krishna consciousness. You have to keep chanting. At the time, Karanda couldn't imagine how anything could go wrong in Krishna's service. Years later, however, as he found himself still remembering those words, Karanda could appreciate the real potency of what Jayananda had said. So many things may come and go, just have faith in the name. Jayananda's preaching was very attractive for the non-devotees. Chandanacharya recalls seeing Jayananda engaged in preaching late one night. It was 11.30, and 
And Jayanand was fixing up a broken down Sankirtan van. He was up fixing a broken down Sankirtan van. As he lay on his back, working under the van, he preached to two hippies who were standing nearby. All they could see of him was a pair of legs. But they stood listening, completely absorbed, as Jayananda worked and preached away. As long as he felt a person was at all ready, Jayananda would preach to him about chanting and about Prabhupada. <clears throat> there was no protocol or stiff etiquette, just sincere and confidential glorification of Krishna. True to his character, Jayananda was often seen preaching to guests from his wheelchair, even during his last days in this world. Devotees who knew him could tell exactly what he was saying. You just have to have faith in the name. So when he, uh, when he mm, came to Los Angeles, he was in a hospital bed that we rented for him in an apartment. And uh, on his birthday, which was not long before his disappearance day, the devotees decided to have a little party for him, but he was bedridden, so somehow <clears throat> they wanted him to come out in the wheelchair to the Rathiatra cars. He had uh, used some last money that he had, I think it was medical benefits, to purchase wood to build these Los Angeles Rathiatra cars. And uh, so Lalitanath was building these cars. He was a very good builder. And they designed... Jayanand, having been a designer, an engineer, helped him design these cars. And their cars are so uh, steady that they've, they've uh, gone since that year, 1977, um, continuously with little or no repair work. And it's a, a five-mile route to the place where they're taken. They're, they're pulled there up and back every year since then. So very, very solid cars. Uh, the story behind his ordering the wood is kind of interesting. When uh, he came to Los Angeles, it was his idea that there should be a Rathiatra. And as you know, Jayananda is often known as the Rathiatra Acharya, or Mr. Rathiatra. When he came, to, when he was in New York and performed the Rathiatra there, by his uh, desire, it went down Fifth Avenue. And Prabhupada wrote him a letter saying, you have fulfilled my most cherished dream by bringing the Rathiatra cars down Fifth Avenue. Fifth Avenue is the most famous street in the United States for parades. It's where they have all the parades after the wars. They, all the generals come down there in their open cars and Macy's Day Parade, the St. Patrick's Day Parade. All, all the big parades are there. So this was something very dear to Prabhupada. And when he, he saw this done, he was very happy. Imagine getting a letter from Prabhupada saying, you have fulfilled my most cherished dream. That's <laughs> pretty amazing. So, <clears throat> just getting back to the, to the wheelchair thing. This, uh, the wood for the, was ordered without uh, us having gotten permission to do the festival. Our, our GVC then was Rameshwar. And uh, we'd, when Jayananda came out, he said, you, you, you guys should have a Rathiatra here in Los Angeles. So he couldn't figure out where you could have a Rathiatra in Los Angeles because in New York, Chicago, San Francisco, there's some, what you might call a main street or main streets where you can have it. But Los Angeles is like a bunch of little villages. It was built in a completely different way. It's all spread out and there's no real kind of central place. What's now the central part of Los Angeles isn't really central anymore. So we thought and thought. We thought maybe we'd go down Venice Boulevard. That's the main street. It goes by the temple down to the beach. But then there's hardly any people ever walking on that street. It's just cars. So we thought and thought, and we drove down to the beach, the end of Venice Boulevard, and we looked, and Jayananda had the idea that that the uh, 
the Rathayatra chariots could just go along the beach, parallel to the beachfront, because the place was always uh, very heavily trafficked with walkers all year round, every, every day of the year, seven days a week. It's a tourist attraction. But it's not really a, a route for cars, it's just a walking place, and there's some runners and bicycles. So then we thought, well, if we were going to do it, this is the most sensible, logical place, because there's always thousands and thousands of people there, what to speak of on a Sunday. So then we thought this is a good idea. This was his idea, actually. It's about a 1.4 miles long. It's just about the right length. It's almost the same length as the actual Latiatra route from Grand Route down to Nilachala in Puri, to the Gundicha Temple in Puri. So we decided, okay, we, we, we'll do it. And then the next step was simply to get permission from the GBC then, who was Rameshwar. Well, he, he was a bit slow in making his decision. So Jayananda, sitting in his lying in his hospital bed in his room, phoned and with the last of his money ordered two tons of wood. Or maybe more, I don't know, but this wood just appeared in this parking lot, the temple parking lot, one day, mysteriously. And uh, when Rameshwar asked us where that wood came from and we told him, he, his heart immediately melted and he, he said, well, we can't not have this festival now, after all. So he spent the last of his money, ordered the wood, and... Lalitanath and he were busy at work designing the chariots. So when it came time to ask him to uh, come out for his birthday, he, he didn't want to go because we wanted to surprise him. He didn't say, come out for your birthday. He said, well, I, I don't really, I don't feel like it. <laughs> so we had to think of some ruse to get him out there. So we asked Lalitanath to come in and explain that he, he uh, had, had some problem that he couldn't solve with the building and the design, and Jayananda would have to come out and, and help him. So he was really reluctant to go when the lightning began. He said, well, what's the problem? He said, well, you just have to come out and see. <laughs> so uh, he came out in a wheelchair, and uh, as, as we uh, <clears throat> pushed him up to the parking lot, which is about uh, 50 feet, 100 feet from his room, he heard the kirtan, and then he began to smile. I think you may have realized what was happening. So we told him it was his birthday and there was a throng of devotees in the parking lot all chanting as we pushed him through in a wheelchair. And uh, the devotees had made a birthday, actually they made three birthday cakes for him. Each one was in the size and shape and color of the Rathiatra car with donuts for wheels. And each rath was, was going to be a different color. As you know, one's green, one's red, and one's yellow. I think that's the way they go. So they were made very beautifully decorated like that and with the donut wheels. And... Uh, so he had a nice kirtan. And then uh, then we were going to speak something, <clears throat> but he insisted on speaking. And he was in a wheelchair. But he not only insisted on speaking, but he insisted on standing up and speaking, which everybody was very worried about because he was, his voice was very wobble, wobbly and warbly, and, and uh, it was breaking up and very thin. And uh, it didn't appear that he could even stand up. What does talk of speaking? So somehow he stood up with devotees on both sides of him and he began to speak in that kind of very faint voice. But because everyone was crowding in, they could hear him and wanted to hear him very much. So he basically glorified the Rathiatra and said how this is one of the most wonderful festivals in the world, how, how happy he was. <clears throat> how happy he was that all the devotees were going to take part in it and that it's something that everyone should be very enthusiastic about. 
and this was taking place in Los Angeles and he spoke for quite a while then uh, after he talked it was it was kind of inappropriate for anyone to say anything we just felt kind of silenced you might say but it was like the guru had spoken Um, it was actually his festival it was his money um, his inspiration that, uh, that made everything happen so then it came time to serve the cake and immediately devotees cut some pieces off and uh, offered him the first piece. So he didn't accept it, but rather he, he called the children forward and asked them to take pieces. So he fed all the kids that were out there and then the devotees. So that's what I, I think he meant by preaching from the wheelchair. Um, let's see. Jayananda's humility. Humility was certainly Jayananda's most important, prominent quality. He treated everyone as a superior, even new bhaktas. Maharaj Das remembers what Jayananda was always asking, that, that Jayananda was always asking his advice. Hey, Bhakta Mike, what do you think of this? Although his service was glorious, he never wanted any glory. He avoided praise like the plague. The devotees got to know that if they wanted to be around him, they'd better not praise Jayananda. Otherwise, he would simply leave. Once when he was with Dhanavir, somebody came to Jayananda and began praising him. Jayananda just ignored it. Later, he turned to Dhanavir and said, You know, if you've been around this movement for a few years, people naturally offer you some respect. Not that his service or qualities were so great. Uh, not, not that his service or qualities were so great. He had just been around a few years. That's what he thought. If he ever spoke about himself at all, Jayananda would speak so humbly that Lochandas recalls, it was difficult not to think of yourself as being better than him. If you had any reason to be puffed up, Jayananda would bring it out in you. Feeling himself unworthy, he would step aside so that others could lead kirtan, give class, or do arti. Instead, he could be found fixing cars, unplugging toilets, washing dishes, or taking out trash. Hmm. Once a new boy came to visit the San Francisco temple. He wanted to help, so Keshav Das sent him to the trash area where Jayananda was preparing the weekly trash run. Jayananda told the boy, I'm the garbage man around here. For years I've been watching garbage men carry out trash, and now Krishna is giving me a chance to do this for him. The boy not only helped load the trash, but accompanied Jayananda in the garbage, to the garbage dump. Later that boy became a devotee, and he recalled thinking, if the garbage man at this temple can be so blissful, just imagine what the rest of the devotees are like. Mm-hmm. When uh, he was in his hospital bed in, in uh, Los Angeles, <clears throat> we were trying to organize this Rathiatra festival. So uh, it was a great inspiration to us because uh, he was so enthusiastic and so debilitated that uh, we would come every night uh, after the Vathyatra activity, uh, organizing activities, and make a report to him. It was mainly Brabhuvarhan and myself that were organizing it. And uh, it was by his mercy that somehow we were able to raise about $70,000 in uh, about three weeks' time. Um, and we were able to import some big tents from India. I remember staying up, sleeping by the phone several nights in a row, Trying to getting telephone calls from India, trying to track the movement of these tents across from Delhi to Bombay onto the ship to Singapore and then onto LA, and they arrived the day before the festival. We had a, a grid made up 
with uh, on one axis the name of every devotee, every single devotee in the community, which then was about 400. And on the other, we had day of the week and time. So everyone had actually been assigned a particular duty every day of the week for about 30 days before the festival. So it was a mammoth effort. And it was all uh, due to his inspiration. We'd come back and report to him, and it's like Kalakanta was saying here, he would say things like, well, I don't see how you do it. I just don't see how you do it, Makunda or Babu Rahan. And we actually felt really, uh, I mean, it empowered us because we were so puffed up that Jayananda was actually saying that, you know, he couldn't imagine how we could do all these things. <laughs> he was actually doing everything. And uh, it was a very testy, difficult thing. We had to get something like 40 permits. The Los Angeles City Council is very uh, messed up. I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> it it just didn't make sense you had to get 40 permits, but we did. <clears throat> um, Karanda recalls another incidence of Jayananda's humility. One day before Rathayatra, I spent the whole day running around with Jayananda. By the time we got back to the temple, it was midnight. The whole building was so crowded that we couldn't find any place to lie down. Finally, we found room in a little storage closet. I was so tired that all I could do was throw my sleeping bag on the floor and lie down. Then I saw, saw Jayananda walking out of the room. I asked him, where are you going? He said he'd be right back, but I kept pressing him and finally he explained that he had some rounds to finish up. He didn't want to keep me awake by chanting in our room, nor did he want me to feel bad because he was going out to do something else. He just wanted to slip away to some corner and fulfill his vow. I remember saying, sometimes it's not possible to finish all one's rounds because there's so much work to do. That's okay, I'm not too tired, Jayananda replied. I was amazed not only by his consideration for me, but by his full submission to Srila Prabhupada. Although perfectly qualified, Jayananda was reluctant to take a post as temple president or sannyasi. It was not that he wouldn't or couldn't do it, he would do whatever was asked of him. He was happiest just to be working under someone. In this way, he was the backbone of the Bay Area's Iskand Temple for years. Through frequently changing administrations, he would always faithfully serve the acting temple president. He was very special, and yet no one paid any special attention to him. That was just the way he liked things. Um, yeah, he was, as it was mentioned, always busy doing menial type of work. When he was building the Rathiatra, Keshava Bharti told me this story. In, in San Francisco, he was he would literally stay awake for two or three days at a time. I, maybe he would take some little nap during the day, but it's pretty hard when you're outside working on the Rothkar to sleep. <laughs> so I don't think it was very much during the day. So he would, uh, he would work very, very hard. And uh, in San Francisco, there was a little darshan in Prabhupada's room, kind of an informal thing, one of the evenings during the time that he was building the Rothkar and staying up late. So he came in, they were all sitting, he came in a bit late and he still had his work clothes on, a little greasy and smelly. And uh, as he sat down, he had his back against the wall, he started to drop off to sleep. The Bodhi next to him was a bit horrified and nudged him with his elbow kind of harshly. And Jayananda immediately sat to attention and started listening to Prabhupada. And then he started to drop off to sleep again, you know, with his head down kind of. And his devotee was very worried that Prabhupada would be offended and that it was improper. 
And so again, he nudged him with the same way with his elbow, and we immediately Jayananda sat up. So this happened three times. And uh, the devotee next to him didn't think Prabhupada was noticing it. I don't think anybody else thought he was noticing it, or I don't know if anyone else even really noticed it. But all of a sudden, he heard Prabhupada say, you leave him alone. He's doing more service than all of you put together. <laughs> um, according to this, it says, no matter how hard he was working, he would never, underline never, stop for a nap during the day. He seemed to be inexhaustible. Jambavan remembers that many times the San Francisco devotees would go out to Berkeley to distribute the leftover prasad after a, day, after a Sunday feast. Quote, first Jayananda would be in the kitchen cleaning. Then someone would say, hey, how about this leftover prasad? Jayananda would say, okay, first let's get the kitchen clean. End quote. He would organize the cleanup crew and then work twice as hard as anybody. Then he would transfer the prasad, <coughs> load it, and the devotees into the van, drive the van to Berkeley, organize the distribution of Rashad, and lead the kirtan while we distributed. In later years, when he was with the Radha Damodar traveling Sankirtan party, Jayananda would help manage and sustain the traveling bus program and simultaneously do all Sankirtan, do all day Sankirtan, day in and day out, side by side with Brahmacharya scarcely half his age. In spite of his advanced position and seniority, he never asked for any special treatment. Tamal Krishna Goswami, to whom Jayananda had preached many years ago, would often describe him as, quote, the most advanced devotee in the movement. Mm. So this uh, way in which he was perceived <clears throat> as a kind of father figure to everyone continued all through his life. And when he was working, driving a taxi cab, he was also, he became the temple president in San Francisco. And he was just like a father to all the devotees. He was the oldest devotee living there and he was the one with the most principles he wouldn't he wouldn't uh, he would just in every way teach the devotees they should look nice they should speak nicely and they should represent Prabhupada and, and uh, if they had problems he was the first person they would come to they would whatever it was it was always Jayananda they would go to it was almost like he was tucking them in at night to go to bed and waking them up in the morning um Regarding his going out on traveling Sankirtan, he wrote one letter to Prabhupada um, when he was traveling like this, and his main occupation was distributing back to Godhead magazines. He uh, wasn't so much like into big books. I guess many devotees maybe at that time weren't. But he wrote a nice letter to Prabhupada once, and he said that I've decided that of my direction and my goal for my life, and that is that I simply want to distribute these back to Godheads and live on this bus for the rest of my life and then I'll be completely satisfied and happy. And Prabhupada wrote him a letter back, <clears throat> a very nice letter, saying that he was very, very pleased with his disciples. So just imagine someone older than everybody else, senior to everybody in so many ways, and mature, and um, that his only ambition was to, was to remain on his traveling bus and distribute literature. It's just... Anyway, inconceivable is the only word I could think of. We're going to say something about that. And, uh, yeah, it reminded me of of uh, Lord Chaitanya praising Kolavecha Sridhar for not wanting to have a house. You know, he, he was saying, your house is all leaky. And he said, oh, the birds live in the trees, you know, they don't have a house. And then Lord Chaitanya said he was very, very happy, very pleased. So Jayananda's freedom from fault-finding. 
Those who knew John Nanda always noticed one remarkable quality about him. He could not underline, criticize others. It was against his nature. Even if a devotee did something which warranted criticism, Jayananda would usually say nothing, or else something that made the mistake appear to be perfectly understandable. No matter who was giving class or leading kirtan, he would always appreciate it. He never spoke harsh words or chastised anybody. If one devotee was criticizing another within earshot of Jayananda, Jayananda would simply leave. Rather than criticize others, Jayananda would contribute nothing less than positive Krishna conscious energy to any situation. Sometimes devotees would bring up their expansive aspirations for spreading Krishna consciousness. Jayananda would always encourage their ideas, however extraordinary. At the same time, he was not a fool. He could always pick the right man to do a particular duty. Because he knew how to encourage people, the temple leaders would always assign new men to work with Jayananda. Uh, he knew no distinction between new devotee and old devotee. Both were his superiors. He could quickly give him a new man a sense of identity and a feeling that he belonged in Krishna consciousness. A true Vaishnava, he was expert at fanning any little spark of Krishna consciousness into a big fire. Few will dispute the claim that Jayananda made more devotees and helped more pull through than anyone else in the movement. Like the six Goswami, Jayananda was both dear to the gentle and the ruffians. He was as much at home with the Italians at the produce market as with the brahmacharis in the temple. He would make friends on street Sankirtan, and they would often come to him and say, Hey, where have you been? Once a devotee was approached by a staggering drunk in San Francisco. The drunk looked at his robes and asked the devotee, Hey, where's my old friend Jayananda? Many devotees, including Dhanavir and Chandanacharya, had the experience of taking over Jayananda's old territory on incense runs or boga runs. They would meet people who said such things as, where's Johnny Ananda? Or, that man, he's the nicest and most pure man I've ever met. One man told Chandanacharya, well, I don't know much about your philosophy, but if that Jayananda is into it, it must be all right. Once near the Rathiatra cart worksite, Jayananda invited Keshua to step inside a bar and meet some of his friends. They walked inside and immediately 25 faces looked up and smiled brightly. Someone said, oh, this must be your friend you were telling us about, the temple president. They presented the two devotees with a sack full of vegetarian groceries, which they had chipped in together to buy. Among the devotees, Jayananda was like a big brother, always compassionate and willing to listen to them. But devotees rarely burdened him with their problems. When you were around Jayananda, said Karanda, you had no problems. The devotees loved Jayananda and talked about him during long drives on traveling Sankirtan. He was dear to them because he had a sense of humor too. Jamavan recalls being awakened one night at midnight by Jayananda. Wake up, said Jayananda. I've got a benediction. He then pushed a big samosa into the sleepy Jamavan's mouth. <laughs> like Maharaj Yudhisthira, Jayananda's enemy was never born. Uh, on that point, Sharud uh, Prabhu told once that he was uh, attending a meeting with the uh, police commission or police and the, the commission that helps decide the uh, permit for the Rathiatra. Probably the park commission. So this idea about the enemy never being born, there was one lady who was always kind of a troublemaker, always tried to say that this problem, that problem. A nitpicker didn't want to give the permit. So always the devotees kind of avoided her and uh, tried to 
figure out a way to get around it. Anyway, the uh, year after he had passed away, they went to the meeting and Jayananda wasn't there and the lady was there and she asked, where's, uh, where's Jayananda? And they said, uh, oh, he, he passed away. And she immediately became very tearful and uh, started to uh, pull out her handkerchief and then she left the room and <laughs> came back about five minutes later. She was crying. Let's see. Jayananda was very eager to see everyone engaged in Krishna's service. He once wrote, When I reflect on my consciousness, I, had I not had association with devotees and Srila Prabhupada, I shudder to imagine the nightmare I would be in. If we could become a little dedicated to distributing the mercy, so many could be saved from so much suffering. Um, on this point, there was a devotee I met. <clears throat> this is also illustrative of how a great Vaishnava becomes more and more glorious and lives on after their passing. Um, I was in the Victoria train station in London waiting for a train to go out to the airport and there was a tall guy with a beard kind of hovering around me and I was wondering, what's, what's this guy going to do? And, uh, and then after a while he, he said, do you, uh, he said he started talking, he said, how's the movement doing this and that and you're a devotee, yeah. And, then he, I, and he said, I was a devotee for a while. I said, oh really? He told me his name was Badrasena. And we got to talk, and he became very friendly. And uh, then it turned out that he, uh, he had met Jayananda, and it was actually Jayananda who had, uh, had, had uh, got, gotten him engaged in building a Rathkar. So he uh, just, you know, we talked a little about it, and then I think I got on a train, he got on another train or something. And then when Jayananda came to L.A., I mentioned that I had, I had met Badrasena when I was in London and he had given me an address in, uh, in, in Newport Beach. So I said, oh, we should go down and see him. We got Badrasena. He was a really good man. We got to go and see him. So uh, every time that I used to drive from Los Angeles to Laguna Beach, I would, almost every time, I would suffer from carbon monoxide fumes and I'd have to pull over to the side of the road and sleep. Um, horrible, horrible smog. So uh, the same thing happened. I was driving Jayananda down there. He really had to see Badrasena. We had his address. We called him. He was working in a gas station down in Newport Beach. And uh, about halfway down there, I told him, I, can't, I just can't drive on this hour. I have to stop and sleep for a half an hour. So that's all right. I'll drive. And uh, he was right out of the hospital bed, you know, with terminal leukemia. And he was insisting to drive the car. Um, there was another time when I was in... in uh, where was I? Near Nishringananda South, near Topanga, in Topanga Canyon. And uh, another person was sort of hovering around me also with a beard. This person looked a little fierce, so I thought I was kind of staying away. He'd been drinking, so I thought, oh, he's going to, you know, cause me trouble. I kept kind of moving to the other side of the store. I was getting something at the store, a little store. And finally, uh, he was like right breathing down my neck, and he said, uh, did you ever know a guy named Jayananda? And I said, yeah. Just completely amazed. And, uh, you know, his face was a little pocked. He looked like he'd, you know, been kind of abusing himself a lot over the years. I said, he was the nicest guy I ever met. I said, really? I said, how did you meet him? And he told me that he'd been down in Fisherman's Wharf in, Sandy, in San Francisco back then. It was, I guess it would have been about 1967, something like that, 68. And he said that, uh, that China had approached him. He was drunk and staggering around. And he, and he said, well, you, got a, you have a drinking problem. He said, yeah. I said, well, you know, we, we can help you. And he said, really? He said, what do you, how? He said, well, 
I said, what do you do? And he said, well, I'm a carpenter. He said, great. He said, we're, we're, we've got a project. We're building some carts and you can come and help us. We're building around the other chariots. So, uh, so he was telling me the story, how he said, just get in the car with me and, and uh, you can come back and we can start working today. So he took him back in the van with the Sankirtan devotees to the San Francisco temple. And he said, and then he said, well, where's the, where's the project? And he said, I'll show you. And he, he said, he walked me around behind the building and there was this huge chariot. I couldn't believe it. I thought they were just going to be some little carts. And he, he put me to work right away with hammer and saw. And he said that he worked on them right till they were finished. He, he was uh, very eager to see them get done. He stayed in the temple or he slept out in the Rathiatra cars the whole time. And then he never, after that he left the temple. He never saw Jayananda. He never saw devotees again for the rest of his life until he saw me. <laughs> First thing he, he remembered was Jayananda, the most wonderful person he met. Um, and Kalakanta mentions here how during the Rathiatra building times if they were short of carpenters he would just just uh, find people who were walking by on the street if they looked a little bit burly he would say he'd go up to him put his arm around and say would you like, like a job or we'll give you you know I'll give you a place to sleep and something to eat so sometimes the, the workers were just like literally people off the street winos or something like that and he would, he'd make sure they got fed and somehow they got a place to sleep and they would help him build the, the Rothkar um, when he built the Rothkar in New York he had he had uh, this terminal cancer and it was really a, a Herculean feat that he was able to build it and shortly before was that 1976? yeah right before it was ready to go almost right before a, a big gust of wind came and blew the blew the canopy down the structure I think they'd put some cloth over it and uh, a woman was watching from her window this was up on the west side of Manhattan of an apartment building up on the fifth or sixth floor or something and she said she'd been watching the whole time she was so moved by watching the devotees immediately set about building this thing back she had to come all the way outside of her house it was in the middle of the night or you know, early morning like four o'clock or something and she had to tell him how amazed she was that they were going to continue doing this. And here he was with terminal cancer. So they got, they got the thing up and running again. And uh, there's actually a film, I think we have this video, we have it somewhere, of Jayananda, we do have it, pulling the, the chariot, steering the chariot with one hand and waving to the crowd with his right hand after this, this Rothkar was built going down Fifth Avenue. So he not only built it, but he, he, drove, he drove it, he steered it anyway. And this, this was one of the things that really, really pleased Prabhupada. Um, during that time in New York he was in the hospital and he was being fed intravenously a large part of the time and given a lot of drugs at one point he said to Chitsukananda who told me this he said I can't take it anymore these drugs are making me have bad dreams and I'm thinking in my mind of breaking the regulative principles sometimes so I, I'm going to leave here so one day he just pulled all the all the uh, intravenous tubes out and uh, got up and walked out of the hospital and went to live in the temple actually as he was changing clothes he asked Chitsukananda he said why are you just sitting here why don't you go out in the lobby and preach to the people so he was a new devotee never hardly done any preaching and, and, he, and, uh, and he said well, what do you mean what do I do and he said just take your car tals, go down there and sit down have a kirtan and preach to them so it was like a little waiting area on one of the hospital floors. So he said he'd never done anything like it. He sat down on the floor. There was about six people sitting in these waiting chairs. 
and Fulas Kartals had a little kirtan and asked him to join. And then he, then he spoke afterwards. <laughs> he said it was like a real high point in his preaching career. He, he did something he'd never done before. Also, while he was in the hospital, sometimes, although he wasn't supposed to eat, he would get uh, cravings for samosas. So Karnak Chitsukananda, one day, he, he brought a tub full of samosas, a big tub, you know, like a tub, <laughs> into the hospital. And uh, Jayanandi said he ate them all, ate the whole thing. I mean, of course, it's kind of like fasting for weeks. But uh, he did that even in L.A., I remember. He would give him a very strict diet. He could only have vegetables that were put in a blender and ground up and drink them in liquid form. But he would get these cravings for things he liked. And this one devotee named Viharini, it was Maharaj Das's wife at that time, used to make this preparation with uh, potatoes. They were like diced into little dice-sized squares and with uh, lots of ghee and butter and I think danya and something else. Anyway, he really liked that preparation. So uh, he, he couldn't take it anymore one day and he said, you know, please just have, have her make me some of those vegetables. And he made this huge pot of it and he ate the whole thing. And once when he wanted something like that and we didn't want to give it to him because he was sick and said, Jana, the doctor said, you, you know, this and that. Because they were always telling us he's only got 30 days to live. And he just went on for month after month after month. And uh, he would say something like, just please fulfill a dying man's wish. <laughs> so he had to do it. We could not give it to him what he wanted, you know. Uh, hmm. Let's see. One of the things he did was he told us that when we got all these permits for the Los Angeles Pratyatra, said, you should make them cakes. We used to do this in San Francisco. <clears throat> so, um, we, it was so hard to get these permits. And it, they were even trying to stop the parade at the last minute. <clears throat> so we took his advice literally, and we actually made a complete double-layer cake, big round carob cake with all kinds of goodies inside, for each and every of the 40 people who <laughs> gave us a permit. And uh, it took us a week to distribute them all because we could only do three. If we personally went there, in Los Angeles, it takes like an hour just to get to one place and then an hour to get to the next place. So uh, we personally distributed these cakes to every person with a personal, you know, written letter. And it really helped because the next year it was a lot easier to get the permits. And they were so amazed. It was kind of like maybe they're the first, we're the first people to ever bring them something like that. And they would cut it and distribute it to the people in the office. And even the people that were really giving us a hard time were uh, mellowed out by that. So here's a description of the New York Rathiatra. One of the things that Jayananda said, used to say to us, is that I, uh, we, when we bring up the fact he was sick, because Prabhupada was also very ill at that time, he said that I just hope that I can leave my body before Prabhupada. That's my, my only desire. Um, so after the Rathiatra, <clears throat> Prabhupada saw the pictures of the chariot, chariots. He was in his room in London and uh, Tamal Krishnamash was there and he was showing them to Prabhupada and he, he said that at one point Prabhupada asked all his boys to leave the room <clears throat> and uh, according to Tamal Krishnamash he, he was just wanted to be alone meditating on his Rathayatra festival and looking at the pictures. So he, he wrote a letter after that to all the devotees in Los Angeles which was read out a couple of times. My dear uh, boys and girls. Um, and in the course of the letter, he said, we have never seen such carts. It was just a very, very thankful letter. 
that it was such a wonderful festival. Just from seeing those photographs, Prabhupada could, it was amazing. It was like he was completely psychic. He could understand everything about the festival. And it was really, it was really a wonderful event. It was not only um, probably the, the most attended Rathiatra ever in the history of this country. I mean, literally tens of thousands of people were there. But uh, it was broadcast on national television that night, Sunday night, which is a very, very unusual thing to go. And in those days, a national television show on Sunday night would be seen by at least 10 million people, maybe more. And the way it happened was actually very amazing. The um, First, the fact that they came was amazing. One devotee who was inspired about Jayananda sneaked into the back entrance at the CBS television studio in Los Angeles. And when she walked into the National Assignment Editor's office, first thing he says, how did you get in here? She has big, like a portfolio with lots of photographs on it. And uh, somehow he, uh, he called up the temple and said, we're going to come out. So that day, the uh, lady who came out to do the report with the camera crew, her name was Karen Lovejoy, interesting name. And uh, she got there at about 11 o'clock and started eating samosas. And they were there till about 3 o'clock. <clears throat> interviewed a few devotees. And uh, when I was interviewed, she first, before the interview, said, this is the most wonderful day I've ever had. And she was just gorging herself on samosas. So I did let an interview, and she interviewed a few devotees. Then, after having been up for a couple of days, we went into Rameshwar's room to watch the broadcast. It was a fellow named Ed Radley, who I think is with 60 Minutes now. And as he came on camera... But, yeah, Ed Bradley. Is that the right name? Yeah, Ed Bradley. So he, there was a big background of the Juggernaut Puri Temple. He got it from one of the photographs in our press kit. The whole background was this Juggernaut Puri Temple. It was just so amazing to see it. And then, uh, then he started telling about the Los Angeles Festival. It seemed like there was no reason to put this on. You know, all, all, I mean, it just happened by Jayanand's mercy. So we were watching people being interviewed. Then... All of a sudden, Jayananda's parents appeared on the screen. Out of the tens of thousands of people that were being interviewed, she happened to meet them. And she said, um, and what's your name? Oh, Mr. and Mrs. James Corr, really. And where are you from? Grand Junction, Colorado. Oh, that's a long ways, long ways away. What, what brings you out here to, to Los Angeles today? <clears throat> uh, were you coming, did you come for this, or you just happened to be here? And, well, actually, his mother said, our, uh, our son built these chariots and uh, he died of leukemia about a month ago. And uh, so, you know, it was like really an amazing thing, just so, such a moving thing. Uh, I forgot how she handled it after that, but it was, you know, here we were all the way. We had no idea this was happening and it was just like, it was kind of like the culmination, the perfection of the, uh, of the festival that his parents were on there glorifying him. And it was especially good because we forgot to put his picture in the Rothkar that year. Although Prabhupada said we should do it, we should hang it in the Rothkar every year. But that was very sweet. And it was very sweet that so many people um, got to see it, millions and millions of people got to see his parents and you know, got, to, got to see some Krishna consciousness in action. Um, anyway, I'll just end by telling a very short story about... Uh, how in South Africa, thousands of miles away, Jayananda Prabhu's glory was, uh, was enhanced. He went to school at, at this Ohio, Dayton, Ohio, Oakwood High, it was called, in Dayton, Ohio. And one of his 
classmates he was very friendly with happened to go to the Rathiatra festival in Durban, South Africa in uh, 1989, I think it was. So he saw Janata's picture hanging in a chair and he knew he recognized this person. He didn't know who it was. So he started asking different people if they knew and they all just said Jayananda. It didn't mean anything to him, Jayananda. So he kept asking. Finally he found someone who knew James Corr. As soon as he heard that, he, he immediately knew, he, he remembered everything. So uh, then, he became, then it turns out that this man is the person who reconvenes all of the class reunions for the state and high school every 10 years or whatever it is. So uh, he, he thought, wow, this is really, this is amazing. Because he was like the saint of this Hare Krishna movement. You know? <laughs> so he, uh, he decided to try to track him down, track his, down his parents, because of course he, he passed on. So from Durban, he remembered that Jayananda's, all he remembered really was that Jayananda's father worked for Sherwin-Williams Paint, big, big corporation, big paint company. So he somehow from Durban, South Africa, phoned the, the headquarters of Sherwin-Williams Paint Company, wherever that is, in some city in America, and got the address. Huh? Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. And he got the address of James Corr, the father of Jayananda, who was passed away now also. And through that, he got the address, and uh, he wrote, and he, he contacted them, and, and just you know to find out a little bit more about what was going on with their son, and just to you know he just felt inspired. So this man wrote a very interesting letter um, to the Oakwood High School classmates and friends about his experience meeting their old classmate Jayananda, and he called, he said he described him as a saint in the Hare Krishna movement. Um, he says, I want to tell you about my trip to Durban, South Africa. This is a copy of the letter he wrote, which he allowed us to reprint to uh, his classmates. Uh, once a day, once a year, they have a day honoring Jim, and they fast on that day. He didn't know it meant feast. He just left out one letter. <laughs> In San Francisco, Jim was responsible for dealing with the outside community. Um, people who didn't like dealing with Hare Krishna folk did like to deal with Jim. Jim is mentioned in one of the books written by the man who brought Hare Krishna to the West. The book is Nectar Devotion. He's, and he says he's got a photo of the chariot with Jayananda's picture in it. He tells about his conversation with his mother, how he called them long distance. Now this is an interesting part, and I'll end with this. Now, I hope I explain the next properly. As I understand the Hare Krishna movement, and I may have it all confused, one is reincarnated again and again until he perfects his life enough to go to be with Krishna or God. They believe that Jim has gone directly to Krishna's abode and has no further need to be reincarnated. He doesn't need any more perfecting. He has achieved it all. So he ends his letter to the classmates saying, So, now, the next time you see a Hare Krishna devotee on the streets, go up and tell him or her that you went to school with Jayananda. You'll get red carpet treatment. <laughs> the story of Jayananda will be known! Exclamation point. And remember, comma, I was in South Africa, which is 11,000 miles from Los Angeles, and they all knew. 
<clears throat> I must take this opportunity to share it and it goes on. So we can see how the glory of the great Vaishnavas is increasing forever after their passing and uh, we can get, get great benefit by remembering Jayananda today on his disappearance day and uh, we're very grateful that, that uh, the movement recognizes him. Of course, there are many saints that we chant about and read about, but Jayananda was so uh, close to us in time and set such a nice example that we're very fortunate to have had such a uh, saint uh, within our midst. Thank you very much. Jayananda Prabhu Jai. Yes. Yeah. Were you? Can you tell the story? Remember, you can go in the kitchen and make a preparation in order for Jayananda to be offered at Raj Gogol. Two things he really liked was halibuts and mosses. I'm going to make halibuts if anybody wants to make some mosses. Feel free to go in the kitchen right after breakfast. They also very, very much like potatoes, which are always hard to make. And uh, like there's the garanga style that were uh, cut in slices like that, like we call them scalloped potatoes in this country. And that was made with aspatito and turmeric, lots of turmeric, and nicely spiced with salts, and sometimes either yogurt or sour cream. It's optional. And uh, then just potato subjects, where there are small pieces of potato with, with ghee and sometimes paneer, but more, more like ghee and danya, and the nice spicing. Turmeric, I like those things very much. So, Nirvana, you're... There was only one part of the interview that stuck out of mind when I became actually slow. His mother, you asked me to go interview him. So one of the questions was, was there anything in his youth that particularly stuck out in his mind that led her to, to understand he would be very religious and, and spiritually inclined in his, when he was an adult? And she thought for a minute, the one story that she remembered, she said, well, there was one time when he was very little, he was about four or five, and they used to go to some Protestant church. And he would always be in the Sunday school for the little kids. But one time, the very first time, his grandmother took him to the into the main sanctuary, the church, you know, where all the adults were, were sitting like that. So he was sitting next to his grandmother, and she said that he was all fidgety. He kept looking all around, and, and she was telling him, sit down, be quiet, don't make a disturbance. And he kept looking around, all around, kept turning around, standing up and looking all over the building. And she kept telling him to quiet down, and he wouldn't, he just kept making this disturbance. So finally she said, what is it that you're so anxious about? And he said, he said, uh, Grandma, where's, I'm looking for God. <laughs> <laughs> he was in the big church, so I don't know, so where's God? <laughs> <laughs> <Don't see that. laughs> Hmm. I remember, I think you gave a class in Moscow a few years ago on big stadium with uh, Ali Pisky about a story that he brought one, one uh, drunkard and he pushed him to walk and forced it, inspired him to walk to build a chariot yeah? and there was big wheels, huge wheels for Rafayata and they tried to uh, lift them up and push on this 
What happened was that it, there were these very heavy wheels and they were building them. It dropped on this, this fell off the street. It dropped on his foot, in the front part of his foot. So he was screaming like a madman and they went in an ambulance to the hospital. <clears throat> and when they took his shoe off, they found that the, the wheel had totally missed his foot. It, fell, it landed in the front part, just crushed his shoe. But he was so traumatized by the incident that he thought it was crushed. And then he just, he just calmed down and started smiling and everything and back to work. San Francisco. Sister Janet. Yeah. One story is uh, a couple of stories that stuck out in my mind. Actually, when Majanana was raising money for the, for the Macchiato, he would, would call his relatives and friends and said, uh, I want another operation. I, I had a chance to be saved, you know, I wanted another operation. So they sent him thousands of dollars and he just spent it all on the Macchiato. Yeah. And, uh, and then one time he went and Ani Kutra was in charge in New York and he said, Look, you've got to get some new clothes. He was wearing his ragged jeans. And it was falling apart. So you got to get some new clothes. So he took, had someone take him to the store and clothes. And as he was going through the checkout line, he thought, I really don't want to give this money to these people. You know, so I tried to steal them. They didn't stop the shoplifting. So they called the police and then they called out a case and said, a man is down here has been shoplifting. So they jumped in a car and went down to the place. And uh, by the time they got there, Janet was walking out, you know, had his arm around the police, and the police had their arm around him. Everybody was like happy and so forth. And uh, what happens is security guy preached to the security guard. And the security guard, you know, got very uh, emotional and very, very uh, impressed. And he said, Look, I'll pay for these things. You know. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to save me. And they just they let him go. And, and so they arrived on the scene, you know, all these police cars out there and so forth. And they just let him go. And there was another story where a gentleman went into Adikesha's office. By the way, I just want to interrupt momentarily to say that we shouldn't try to imitate the, uh, imitate the activities of Mahabhagavat. <laughs> and he, was, he was so humble, he was, uh, he was actually begging for uh, money to buy cigarettes for the guys that were working on this thing. Because uh, the guys that I have to leave Yes, I worked with him for so many weeks and so forth. And then uh, the, the devotee said, well, you know, Jaina passed away last year. 
Anyway, we could literally go for hours and hours and not even touch a drop of the nectar of Jayananda's association and qualities, but we're going to have to close because <laughs> everyone's got duties to do. Maybe we can uh, speak a little more another time. Thank you. Hi, Bo. Thank you.